A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. Today, I am speaking with Chet Thompson, who is the CEO of AFPM, the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. He leads a staff that advocates for petroleum refiners and petrochemical manufacturers before Congress and the executive branch on a broad range of public policy issues. AFPM, as you guys know, works to emphasize the importance of petroleum refiners, petrochemicals, and the essential products they produce for our lives, our economy, and more. So prior to joining AFPM, Chet had a successful legal career for over two decades. Um, and he also served, interestingly, as the Deputy General Counsel at the Environmental Protection Agency, otherwise known as the EPA, during the George W. Bush administration. Chet, welcome to The Chemical Show. Victoria, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I'm really excited to have you here. So what is your origin story? What got you interested in law, in Washington, D.C., and ultimately brought you to AFPM? Wow. Well, let me start with the easy one. What, what brought me to Washington, D.C.? Born and raised here. Um, a bit odd in this neck of the woods with yeah. so many people that move here. No, I, I was born right here in the nation's capital and grew up here. So uh, staying here and working here was pretty easy in, in, in that regard. The law, let's see what got me interested in law. Uh, I think my parents would tell you I have been like an arguer, you know, my entire life. Uh, always, I think they always knew what I was going to do. Maybe deep down I did. Uh, so, yeah, pretty early on, you know, both in uh, high school and college, I loved a good debate, loved a good fight, frankly. Um, that was just naturally my, what drew me there. And then... I, I got to uh, work at this great boutique law firm when I first started, and and they had uh, an environmental practice, an energy practice, and it was perfect for me. Frankly, it was it was early '90s when the environmental law, you know, business was really starting to boom, and industries were really trying to get the arms around, you know, how, how to balance, you know, uh, doing their business with doing it in a, in a safe and effective way, and it. Frankly, it just it just took uh, to me, and I uh, loved every minute of it. That's awesome. And then, how did you get over to AFPM? What what made you move from legal practice to industry advocacy? I guess in some ways. Yeah. Well, um, AFPM was a client. Some of their members were clients. I got the good fortune to work with folks and. Uh, in this industry for a long time. Um, when I was in private practice, like I said, I had some of AFPM's, you know, members, I, I think in a particular companies like Sinclair Oil um, that I work with. And I, so I got to know folks and then I started to 
be AFPM's outside environmental lawyer, energy, you know, expert. And, you know, as the story goes, they approached me when my predecessor, Charlie Drevna, was looking to do something, you know, basically retire. Uh, they brought me in to help find somebody that might uh, be a good fit here. And uh, I'm accused of doing a bit of a Dick Cheney and that I went from helping folks find someone to actually deciding to join it, uh, AFPM. And it's, you know, why people, you know, would ask, but the idea to work for the industry and come in and really dig in and, you know, just, I just believe in the industry. I believe what they do. The people, you won't find finer people in all the world than those that do, you know, refining and petrochemical. And, I, and I'm not just saying that's not a platitude. It is just a fact that these are just great people. They're humble people. They believe in what they do. And it's contagious. And the idea to continue to do what I was doing, yeah. which is a lot of environmental energy law, uh, to come over here, continue that, not walk away from it, because, you know, so much of what we deal with here are, are, you know, our priorities and our agenda here at AFPM are so aligned with that. So the, the ability to do that and to, you know, you know continue to, you know, and to represent the industry in a broader way was, you know, was just too good for me to pass up. And, you know, in a blink of an eye, I've been here eight years, Victoria, and it's, yeah, I haven't, it's been nothing but, but fantastic. And hopefully they'll let me stick around a little bit longer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does. It does go fast. And I can definitely see where in your role at AFPM, you're able to have a much broader impact on the industry, right? So, um, representing I certainly don't the, if you, the points of view. This town is full of uh, trade associations and a lot of folks that have my role tend to come from like kind of two two cohorts, you know, either they're former politicians or they, you know, are people that are just uh, professional trade association people, frankly. And I was a bit of an odd duck um, in that I came out of the, you know, practicing law. But again, at the time I started, the issues of such paramount importance, uh, climate change, then, you know, uh, Clean Air Act regulation, um, you know, the issues surrounding the petrochemical industry permitting. I mean, just so many things that of yeah. so importance to the industry were and are, you know, you know, my, you know, my area of expertise and, and in any event, the, re the rest is history. That's awesome. You have to That's ask a them great... if it's worked out. They can't get rid of me at the moment. <laughs> That's right. Um, so this is a good segue. What's on AFPM's priority list currently? Wow. You know, there's a lot going on right now, uh, as you can imagine. Um, priority. You know, well, I will say one thing that has been a priority of this organization for a long time, and, and it will continue to be, and that is, you know, health and safety. <clears throat> you know, a lot of folks think about AFPM just as an advocacy organization, and, and indeed we are, but we're also a technical organization. And we've been around for, you know, since... Uh, when we're in 1902, we've been around a long time, more than, a, you know, a hundred years. And, but we started as the, you know, a place for the industry to come together, to share best practices, share knowledge, you know, for the good of the, of the entire uh, industry. And one of the things I'm most proud about is our work around safety. Uh, you know, that is our license to operate. If we don't operate safely, if we don't protect uh, our workforce, if we don't protect our communities, 
we're done for. And so we put a lot of work into that. And I can tell you, Victoria, not a meeting goes by uh, when we d don't talk about those issues and that issue. So that will continue. And we've made a lot of progress. I'm proud to say that groups like the Chemical Safety Board have, have told us that, you know, we are a best in class type of operations. We bring, again, we bring our folks together. We've created so many tools that our uh, members can use, so many opportunities to share information. And, you know, the Department of Commerce tracks um, a couple hundred industries. And, you know, we're, we're a top 10, both the pet chem and refining and safety. And it's something we work hard on and something we care deeply about. And so any priority list of mine, that's going to be way high. It's uh, continued. Awesome. And so uh, what else? I'll say, you know, that the other mantra that we operate here within AFPM is what we call, you know, loosely the dual challenge. What's the dual challenge? And that is we take, you know, we know we have a responsibility to produce the petrochemicals and the energy that, you know, our country needs, our allies need, the world needs, frankly, to continue to thrive. And so, uh, you know, that's critically important. But we know we need to do this, to continue to do our work in an ever-increasing sustainable way, in a more sustainable way. And, you know, that's where really my environmental background comes in. You know, from the start, I was taken by the fact that our members, you know, despite what is, you know, kind of a common, uh, I don't know, uh, unfair narrative about us is we don't care about the things. It's just not true. And you know that because you're close enough, Victoria, to, us to, to, you know, to the industry, you know how deeply we care. But that dual challenge drives us, which leads me into, I would say, on the policy front, there's two things. One, you know, right now there's a lot of uh, discussions around the United Nations Plastic Waste Treaty. That is something we're very deeply involved in. In fact, I was just in Paris you know, a couple of weeks ago uh, as a part of, you know, a round of discussions. That that is very important to us on Dominate. Um, I would say, you know, uh, protecting liquid fuels is a really big thing right now. We have an administration that is a tad bit hostile uh, to fossil fuels. We have uh, a whole slew of proposals out there right now that are designed to, I would say, uh, accelerate the transition away from us in a in an unrealistic kind of way. So what am I saying? Can I try to speak plain. You know, we have an administration that has proposed to ban gas and diesel powered cars and trucks, you know, in yeah, as little as nine crazy. years. Uh, we have a state of California that has also proposed to ban cars and trucks uh, in that state. And there are, you know, 17 other states that are followed suit. And so that has uh, keeping us busy. And, you know, we have a, you know, we had, uh, we have a slew of comments on these issues due. Some are due, uh, in fact, you know, today. And so that will keep us, you know, uh, quite busy. And then, you know, just the other, among other, just a bunch of other cats and dogs. But I would say those <laughs> are the issues, you know, that, that really keep us jumping around here. Absolutely. So let's uh, you know, talk one other thing, Victoria, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, yeah. but one other no, thing because it's, it's part of the reason we're here. It's a, also a huge priority of this organization uh, to tell our story. And, you know, we, we, uh, we realized about six or seven years ago that we weren't doing enough to talk to people about, you know, the value of our products, 
you know, how they make modern life possible, all the good work we're doing. Um, we realized that, you know, most most people don't know this. Most of the coverage of our industry is negative. And so we do a lot. That priority is big. And I have the best communications team in town right here. Yeah, that's so critical. In fact, I mean, and people have heard me say this a lot. I think we need, we, the industry, individual companies, organizations such as AFPM, we need to do a much better job of telling our story. Because if we don't tell our story, somebody else will. And they're going to spin it their own way. And so it's Victoria, incumbent can, on all of us to do that. We, we, we did an interesting study several years ago where we actually looked at the, how the media covers our industry. And we found something really shocking. We, you know, you always knew it wasn't, you know, perfect coverage, Yeah. but we found sure. that more than 90% of every story written about our products and our industry and our members were negative. Wow. Right. That's striking. So when, when the, you know, when our young people and our communities and thought leaders and policymakers are bombarded by that, you know, it, 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 you know, that's kind of the reason we're, we're in the position we are right now where, you know, folks uh, don't always appreciate the value that our products bring people every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally see that. And I have teenagers Chet. So I'm really mindful of the stories that they're receiving from the media, which is predominantly a social media format um, about energy, plastics, chemicals, how it's used, how it's not used, the positive and negatives. And, and so it's, it's a bit of a, you have to almost be an evangelist um, and build evangelists to help counteract a lot of the, not just the published traditional media, but all the social media, the narratives that are going on all over the place. That's right. Well, yeah, we can't agree more. And the good news is, is we find that when you engage people, they're like, oh, okay, I never really thought about that. Like, especially I, I too have teenagers and you need to remind them where they're all the stuff that, that they stuff. embrace comes yeah. from. And how Completely. we get there, and, and no, you know, it takes it, it. really takes people stopping to think about it a bit. So it can be done. It's hard. Uh, we have to do it. But but I also tell you what people want to know is they want to know that we're continuing to do better and that we're, we're delivering our pro products in a cleaner, safer way. And that's why again I talk about the dual challenge. And we know it's incumbent upon us. And uh, I sleep well at night knowing that our guys are you know, working their tails off and have made tremendous progress on these fronts. Tremendous. You look at our traditional emissions over the last couple of decades, down 70 some odd percent. Uh, our our fuels are cleaner than ever. Our uh, products, our petrochemical products are the building blocks of things that, you know, that make, you know, for clean pipes and drinking water and air conditions and, and health, right? We just came out of, you know, COVID. And how would we have gotten through COVID without our product? So anyway, there's a lot mm -hmm. of great stories. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate, you know, all your, you know, that you do to talk about these things. Thank you. So let's talk about the UN Plastics Treaty um, and what's going on there. I know that you and a team of uh, folks from AFPM and from many industry groups were recently in Paris 
um, for the UN Plastics Treaty negotiations. There's a lot of different points of view, right, regarding how to handle plastics and plastics waste. What's critical to AFPM and its member companies with regards to the treaty? Well, let me just start off to talk about the treaty. Um, one, you know, we we certainly, AFPM and our members certainly support support the aspirations of this treaty, and and is you know in its core mission of preventing plastics, you know, waste from getting in the environment, and to deal with the legacy plastics in the environment. I mean, there that is something again we we wholeheartedly embrace. I have members that you know, for years have been involved in efforts to try to tackle that important problem. And so that part, you know, we we care a lot about. We support the development of an aggressive agreement. Aggressive, but but we have to be clear that it also has to be workable. And so what does that mean, you know, for us? I think for starters, you know, Victoria, it means you know, an agreement has to recognize the benefits of plastics. I mean, we can't go into an agreement. Uh, and there are some that, that are approaching this this way, and that is that plastics are bad. And and so, you know, that, that plastics aren't bad. Like as we've talked about, plastics are critical to our way of life. They're critical to upward mobility of people all across the globe. It's critical for water. It's critical for healthcare. I mean, it's critical. We need a, an agreement that recognizes that. Uh, we need an agreement that unlocks innovation. We we can do lots of stuff. And so we need innovation. We need resources. We need government supporting us and, you know, not opposing us. We need flexibility. And what I mean by that is, you know, I believe if they set a broad-based standard, they build this up and say, now each country go figure out how to get there. We have 160 countries that were in you know, that are in these discussions. And so think about that. We have countries that are in so different, you know, different positions. Uh, we had folks from the supply chains there. We had, you know, stakeholders from every walk of life there. But what we're hoping is we get the flexibility to allow individual com- countries to come up with their own national strategies and plans, you know, and get there. And and then, you know, the other really important thing is we we cannot have production limits or caps. You know, there's a lot of talk. Yeah, I saw that as part of the conversation that was taking place during those negotiations. You know, we just think that that is, you know, trying to limit the supply of plastics is not going to work out. You know, it's not going to work out. I mean, what do we do in traditional supply and demand situations and you just limit supply where you end up? All we're going to do in that situation is, you know, raise the costs of these, you know, life-changing products and, we're going to, you know, push production to, to, you know, to places that aren't the best places, you know, for for where production should be. So, you know, we we, you know, we're open to, you know, us taking a hard look at, say, demand, but we shouldn't be looking at supply. And at the end of the day, you know, I should have started here, but at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is drive the world to a circular economy where plastics are reused. And if they can't be reused, they're recycled. And if they're, you know, we can recycle them now through advanced recycling, we can break them down into, you know, almost their original, you know, purity feedstocks and reinsert them into the whole supply chain. So, you know, we're hopeful that, you know, we can get an agreement like that 
It's going to take a lot of work, frankly. It was, you know, you, anytime you bring this many people together, it's hard. I I can't imagine uh, what it takes to really, to craft a negotiation with so many various people um, and perspectives uh, that need to take, be accounted for. So what's the timeline, Chet, um, in terms of this? What should we be looking for next? Well, the goal, the goal of all of this is to try to get a, a an agreement by the end of next year, so 2024. It's pretty fast. Uh, that is a that is really fast, uh, very very fast. I will say the positive thing uh, that came out of last week's meeting or whatever it was a couple weeks ago in Paris. So they call these things, you know, INC one, two, three, and four. These are the intergovernment national. Uh, I don't even know what the negotiating committees, right? Okay. Uh, and they bring all the parties to there. And uh, I'm proud to say that AFPM were accredited. We got to bring our own group. And there were probably 60 some, you know, representatives of industry. But they, we were the smallest contingent. They were, you know, countries and country reps and NGOs. So we're bringing a lot of folks together. And there was certainly a little bit of a slow start to the meetings. You know, the first few I days were happening well. over process and procedure. I mean, important stuff, hard. Again, every country is coming at this a bit differently. But the good news is they got through that and then uh, some progress was made. And what the agreement was, this is a long windup to answer your question, was was there's going to be the development of what they call a zero draft. And that is literally people putting pen to paper initially. And we're expecting to see that very first cut Sometime, I would say, in the early fall, and stakeholders will have an opportunity to comment on that draft. And then there will be a meeting that has been scheduled for middle of November in Nairobi, Kenya. So that'll there'll be a meeting there. Um, and then I believe there, you know, that later in the year, there might be one, I want to say, in South Korea. There's There's a series of meetings between now in the end of next year. And there's already yeah. talk about, so the meeting in Paris was for a little, I want to say seven days. And I think everyone realized that we need to, that's not enough time when we get together, just so much needs to be done. So I think they're going to yeah. expand these meetings, but you're going to see things are going to really start to pick up now, Victoria, when they put pen to paper and you're no longer talking concepts and theories, you're actually reacting to something. Uh, that's, you know, I, I would think things are going to pick up a bit, you know, in the awesome. coming moments. All right. So, so Chet, here's my aside on this. So um, the musical Hamilton has really obviously raised the profile of Alexander Hamilton. And he was really known as a very prolific writer of policies and policy documents and suggestions, et cetera. All right. Who's our modern day equivalent of Alexander Hamilton, who is putting pen to paper as we get to this zero draft um, of this U.N. plastics treaty? Is there a particular set of individuals or a small group or how does that actually work? Do we who, yeah, who's, that's a, that's who's a great the writer? Question. Yeah, well, the, you know, right now that the secretary of this or Norway, uh, anyway, he he gets the first he has the pen. Okay. And, you know, that, you know, and there will be other some other countries that will uh, be able to participate. But basically, the pen is going to be with some of the governments and United Nations people initially. 
And it's a powerful, you're right, with, with the pen comes power, at least, you know, as far as setting the tone uh, of the next uh, discussions. But I am very optimistic that we're all going to have an opportunity to weigh in. There was, you know, folks do really want to listen. When we were there, we had an opportunity to speak to representatives over 90 different countries. We, you know, certainly met with the United States delegation. We um, got a chance to meet with the United Nations uh, working groups. We gathered in. I say that because the, everyone, most everyone, is is really committed to really trying to find a path forward. Right. And you know, again, I, I'm optimistic that we that we're going to be able to do some good in the in the coming months. Yeah. Awesome. So, Chet, you referenced that you know one of the end goals is really circularity and. Advanced recycling, sometimes called chemical recycling, it's gone by a few different names, um, but advanced recycling is really critical to the industry goals and our national targets for carbon reduction and plastics waste reduction. It seems like a no-brainer, like, hey, let's let's make sure that we can get this circular economy going really and truly. And yet I know that there's also been a variety of pushback. So a couple questions. Number one, can you just explain what advanced recycling is briefly? And then why is it important? Yeah, it is it was a great question. It's it's very important. You know, traditionally or like I would say, um, you know, to date, most recycling has been, you know, physical recycling. Think about things getting, you know, shredded and remolded and uh and that's great. But it's there's a bit of a limited ability to do that uh there are certain plastics that you try to fit you know physically recycle now you know uh, there's limits to how many times you can melt and remold something there are limits meaning that you can't use certain applications you can't use some of that type of recycled products in healthcare or food packaging given you know the the purity requirements etc but so what advanced recycling is at its core is the ability, you know, through you know, a lot of heat and pressure to take uh, polymers, you know, these complex structures that are made, you know, that make up plastics and all the various iterations of plastics and take those polymers and break them down into their original core components, their original base petrochemicals that are the original building blocks. And then it's almost, it's like pure feedstock and you can re- insert the that material back into the process it eliminates you know the amount of virgin feed you need at that point and again it allow, opens up a lot of different applications for you know for the reuse of recycled products because you can again put it right back in uh at the end of the day it's indistinguishable the products you can make from what you could have made from the original virgin material so this is, you know, us, you know, in the industry believe it, it's a game changer. It is going to, again, open up a lot of materials that today cannot be, you know, recycled and end up having to be landfilled. It's going to allow us, you know, to move forward in a good way. And But you're right to point out that not everybody agrees with the benefit uh, of advanced recycling and there are some folks that want to see it stifled or certainly not encouraged and you know we're we're really disappointed with that because again we do think that that's the way forward and 
our industry over the last couple of years has invested many billions of dollars into, you know, research and scaling and building up advanced recycling because that's what we need in order to really make, uh, you know, the system circular. Yeah. So what is, what's AFPM doing um, to improve education and awareness of advanced recycling? How are you guys affecting and impacting that? Well, the, the best, I mean, we, we can do about it is we, we try to talk about it a lot. We try to amplify the messages of our members. Uh, our, you know, we're blessed with having members that, you know, know a heck of a lot more about this stuff than we do that are doing a lot. And we try to talk about that. We promote it. Uh, we, you know, we just did our third annual sustainability report at AFPM. I encourage your listeners to go grab it and check it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure it's linked to the show notes for this episode oh, so people fantastic. can find it easily. Yeah, I think folks are going to love it. They're going to see, you know, we talk, we don't talk numbers and charts, and but we talk about real things that our members do every day to make the world more sustainable and a better place. So we promote this. Uh, we talk about it uh, to, you know, policymakers. You know, we do what we can do, which is, you know, do a lot of, of talking. It's it's why when we're at the table for the United Nations discussions, we're, you know, uh, advocating strongly for the promotion of advanced recycling. You know, as you know, uh, EPA has a, a strategy out to prevent, you know, plastic pollution in that document. You know, we're going to be commenting on that document in the days ahead. And we'll be, you know, really push out like because there even that document is frankly, not as positive as it should be on advanced recycling. We need to get policymakers to understand the benefits of advanced recycling if you really want to get to a, a zero, you know, net waste in, in a world. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that um, EPA. They've got the U.S. EPA has a proposed draft strategy to prevent plastic pollution, which is um, it's ambitious, right? So, you know, what's the, what is included in that strategy and what's AFPM and your company's response at this point? Well, as I just alluded, you know, it's out for comment. So we're digging into it. Um, all of, uh, you know, my great team here and our members, we're digging into it to, to you know, we want to be productive participants in the exercise. Because, again, we support, you know, the underlying goal of this document and, you know, the United Nations, which is how do we uh, keep plastic wastes out of the environment? How do we increase plastics recycling and reuse? And it's it's important stuff. So we were appreciative of the opportunity to weigh in. We will be in the weeks ahead and we'll share with you our final product. Uh, we're happy about certain aspects, you know, again, of the document. You know, one of the things that it talks about is uh doing more life cycle analysis of not only plastics, but what, you know, the alternatives to plastics. So if you, if you care about carbon reductions and, you know, energy use and efficiency, you know, think about what plastic replaces, you know, it replaces glass, it replaces, you know, steel, it, you know, and if you start doing carbon analysis against the alternatives, Plastics tell their own story, a powerful story. You know, plastics are why why they're so great, right? Is they're light and they're strong and they're flexible and they can be used in a lot of different ways. And so we we support fully a really 
you know, let the data tell the story. Let's dig in and do some life psychoanalysis and, and see where we go. Yeah. Same problem, Absolutely. though, with the document. Our concerns around the document so far mostly centered around, you know, the focus on a way to address plastic waste is to reduce production. And, you know, we will certainly be commenting on that. You know, listen, limiting the supply of something is does not solve the problem, right? You know, our plastics are getting in the environment there, you know, it's, it's waste management. We definitely need to focus on. We need to help our country. We need to help other countries. How do we gather, collect, and get, you know, the, these materials, you know, into that circular economy we're talking about? We'll be talking about, uh, you know, certainly innovation. And again, how do we, how do we, how do we spur that? Uh, and, you know, again, this document is a little, it's unfortunately doesn't talk much about advanced recycling. And, you know, we would like any policy and programs designed to deal with this subject has to include advanced recycling. It it just, it just does. But listen, I I will say, Victoria, I'm I'm optimistic and I mean this. Um, I know how hard all these things are, but I really am optimistic that we're going to get to a place. We are going to get to a circular economy. Our members are already doing a lot or, you know, already starting to design upfront products for recycling or identifying ways to do it. We're investing in the, you know, in advanced recycling. We're doing the things that need to get, you know, that need to be done in order for us eventually to be at a place where we really are a circular economy. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's striking to me, Chet, is that, um, when I think about plastic pollution and recycling and creating the circular economy, there's a it's not just on the the chemical and the petrochemical industry, right? This is also about human behavior, the consumers, and how the consumers are, you know, recycling their materials, taking advantage of those opportunities that are available. And then, as you say, um, waste management, the companies and the collection process which exists in some places, but doesn't exist effectively in others to um, to actually have the opportunity for collection, recycling, et cetera. It's, it is a holistic um, problem and it needs to be a holistic solution, which is pretty challenging. Yeah, very well said. And uh, way, you know, there's so many different players in the supply chain and uh, I'd be stepping way out of my, expertise to talk to you about how the whole system worked but i will say this that all of the there's so many of these stakeholders that are being brought to bear now and that's what we need because you know every state's different every community's different but you're right i mean we this is a at its heart is a waste management problem and you know we need to get uh find solutions there it's not there's not to suggest that there aren't roles for us there are roles for us um you know so you know, we're, we're open to, you know, additional producer responsibilities and, you know, we're, we're right there and want to be helpful in, you know, developing a strategy to move forward. And so in the coming weeks, we will be submitting, you know, comments on this and looking forward to how this could, you know, be built into a national strategy that will eventually feed into the United Nations, you know, agreement. Awesome. 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 So in 2021, 2022 timeframe, um, there was a significant focus on rail and transportation, right? I think uh, the effects of the pandemic 
really spiked everyone's awareness of supply chain. And I know that there had been some challenges looming with Braille. Um, and there were some potential solutions that were applied, but it seems to have gone a little bit quiet. Is this still on the agenda today? What is going on in the world of rail and rail transportation? Well, it's certainly very, very important uh, to us and should be important to everybody uh, going forward. You know, uh, as the uh, East Palestine, you know, situation from a couple months ago show, this is critically important. You know, we have rail crisscrossing this country and going through communities, and we need to make sure that products, you know, are delivered safely and feedstocks are delivered safely. We we can't operate without, you know, an efficient uh, rail system. It's critically important. Like I say, for our both our pet chem members and our refiners, that's how we get feedstock. Uh, a big part of that is through rail, and that's how we get our products to market and to our customers. So, you know, we we want to work along with our friends in the rail. Uh, so from a rail safety standpoint, there has been, you know, progress made. You know, the Senate passed a bill uh, that has a lots of things in it that, that we're supportive of, you know, designed to enhance uh, public safety. Uh, I, Congress is still you know, grappling with a path forward on that, but I'm, I'm optimistic that something will happen. And, and then there, so there's the safety part, which again, fully supportive. And what we also focus on is frankly, the, the need to bring back more competition in the rail industry. You know, there's only now a, a handful of, you know, uh, rail providers out there, uh, the lack of competition, is never perfect uh so you know we're we would like to find ways and encourage uh there to be uh you know to get congress behind us on how, how do we spur that competition how do we shake things up a, a little bit because competition makes people sharper it makes people you know a little bit more efficient because we've seen a drop in efficiency i don't you know this isn't a secret we talk a, a fair amount about this and we think as a country, we can and need to do better. So AFPM will certainly be there at the table, encouraging um, policymakers to act on this because it's really critically important. So, so Chet, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, in AFPM is obviously very active in a number of fronts related to policy, related to other topics. Where can people find more information? Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for that question. Uh, people can find out more information that they thought ever in their wildest dreams would be possible at AFPM.org. At, at that website, you can find out a lot about our organization or about our policy priorities, about the things we're doing in our communication space, about one of our big initiatives here is, is what we dub, you know, we make progress campaign. And we try to uh, highlight all the great things that our products make possible. And you can go to wemakeprogress.com as well on that. We also have another program, which is fabulous, which is Empower. You know, our Empower program is designed to directly, you know, reach our workforce. Victoria, we have over 3 million people that are directly and indirectly, you know, employed related to our business. And we've created a program that, that you know, meets the needs of our workforce, but that's also available for people to check out. And I urge your listeners to do so. Everything that we're working on is there and 
And we try to make it in very simple terms for people to talk about and share. Awesome. Well, Chet, thank you so much for that. Um, I will make sure all those websites are linked to the show notes and to our website so that people can find it easily. And thank you for joining us today on The Chemical Show. You're welcome. And by the way, congratulations. I hear this is like your hundredth show or you just celebrate hundredth plus. Yeah. It's, it's been quite a journey and and fun to do. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening to the chemical show. Keep listening, following and sharing, and we will talk again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.